Welcome everybody and thank you for tuning into the Spark Experience. My name is Mario Matichek and I'm your host. If you're listening to this podcast, it means that you're interested in change and learning new things. On the Spark Experience, we talk about business strategies, mindset strategies and coaching strategies to ignite your potential. Today we are joined by Daniel Buberis, who is a strength and conditioning coach. He has worked with the Australian Davis Cup team as a physical performance coach and the Port Adelaide Football Club as the athletic development and rehab coordinator. Being in such an important role, he's had the privilege to work with the best athletes in Australian tennis and Australian football. Dan will take us through how hard the best in the world work and some key steps in order to develop your own physical programs so you can compete at a higher level. Make sure you stay tuned to find out how you can become a world-class athlete. Welcome everybody to the Spark Experience. It's an absolute honor to have Daniel Buberis on the show today, where we will discuss what it takes to become a world-class athlete and how hard the best in the world really work. Welcome, Dan, and thank you for your time. Hey, Mario. Thank you for having me. No worries. How are you today? Not too bad. Thank you, Matt. Not too bad. That's good. So, Dan, would you mind giving the listeners a rundown of your journey so far and what you're looking to achieve in the next chapter of your life? Yeah, look, I have uh, unfortunately just recently finished up at the Port Adelaide Football Club where I was the rehabilitation coordinator and athlete development coach working with three to four year buyers as well as skill development and what they call combat mastery. So I did that for a year and a half. And then prior to that, I was at Tennis Australia as senior physical performance coach for the professional men's and Davis Cup team and spent about two years, three years in that space. And then within that pathway system, I then worked with the elite transition athletes as well. So Guys like um, Luke Savile, Alex Bolt, Jordan Thompson, Alex Demonar, young Alex Demonar and Anthony And so, yeah, I was supposed to helping develop those young players coming through. And then prior to that, I was back in the AFL as well. So I've had a blend of both team and individual sports. Yes. Uh, I guess for me right now, it's a bit of a holding pattern at the moment. I'm not in too much of a rush, but I think at the same time, this experience has allowed me to sort of reset and regather my thoughts on where I want to head. So these are sort of the challenges that I like to embrace. and. Everyone else, is, by the sounds of it, is in a similar boat, so I can't complain too much. No, no, that's right. That's right. I think Steve Jobs said it. You connect the dots looking back. So obviously everything will make sense for you in the future once you've experienced and gone through even more and you know, you'll know you decide your own path based on that from what it sounds anyway. Have you got an idea where you're wanting to go? Yeah, look, I think um, given the circumstances now, I think opportunities like this, and no doubt other people have been in a similar boat where you sort of got a bit of time on your hand and you do tend to reflect a bit. You tend to reflect on your past experiences and if you're that sort of growth mindset individual, you'll probably try and work out where you get better. And I think I've used this opportunity to identify those areas. And so for me going forward, I want to look at other areas in more the management side of high performance. Having been on the front line, if you will, for the last 15 years as a strength and conditioning coach and I guess getting right amongst the players, I feel now is the time to upskill myself and develop some other areas of my high performance capabilities in and around administration. And that sort of fascinates me in, in the sense that, you know, having that capacity to be able to help develop coaches as well as players coming through a pathway system, whether it's a national body or a, an elite sports team. So that's something that I'll probably try and entertain over the next couple of months in terms of what's required and where the opportunities lie. That's not to say I'm still involved in hands-on coaching. And I, I love that side of it, as most coaches do, whether you're an S&C coach or a tennis coach. I think you always like to be involved in developing and working directly and intimately with players. I think that's the beauty of coaching. And I'm sort of having the best of both worlds at the moment. I'm certainly not in a rush or panic. I'm just patiently working my way through uh, these challenges, I guess. 
Yeah. No, no, I guess that's a, it's definitely the key in these types of circumstances, especially with everything that's happening. You know, you just have to be patient. And if you're willing to upskill yourself, you'll definitely come out of the crisis or the, the situation to be better. So it sounds like you're definitely yeah, doing absolutely. that. So well done. Yeah. You mentioned that you worked with the Australian Davis Cup team. Who worked the hardest and what really stood out about that individual or individuals? Um, to be fair, I think all of the individuals work incredibly hard. I mean, to be selected in the Davis Cup and if we all know what the Davis Cup ethos is and driven by and led by Leighton Hewitt and those greats of the past like Pat Rafter and Philip Priestus, Mark Wilson and Todd and all of those wonderful players. I think fundamentally you've got to have a really strong work ethic and so I think by virtue of that every player works hard. Now some work harder than others and I think that's just based on consistency, those that consistently work hard. But I'd say the Jordan Thompsons and the Alex Demonars work considerably hard and obviously you've got John Milman there and so it's very fine line between because every other player works hard but I think they work hard in all different aspects of their game but those that work hard in a holistic way and that's often on the court I'd, I'd say those three guys that I just mentioned certainly stand out to me. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, obviously Alex Demon is probably a bit more well-known because he's achieved a bit more, um, you know, let's say Grand Slam success and he's been on the TV and, you know, televised a lot more. So I guess the people that are listening, like how hard does he actually work? Like, is it also like a mental thing as well? Because I, like if I reflect on my playing days, it's not that easy to work hard unless you mentally prepare yourself. You know, you got to be hungry. you got to be willing to, you know, push your limits completely. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think it's just a matter of really pushing yourself. There has to be a really intrinsic motivator deep within to be able to elevate yourself to that level of exertion consistently. And I think that's the key word is to consistently apply physical work and mental capacity. Alex, I think, has an innate ability to do that, whether he's predisposed due to his circumstances, personal circumstances. And I think that's what drives him. Uh, without going into too much detail, I sort of sensed that very earlier on. And you had a young, mature whilst immature body but certainly mature mind you had this young kid that you just knew that just his language just his behavior now when I first came across him and he came through a tennis Australia uh, program somewhat and, and they did a great job with him and so I sort of got him towards the end of that pathway program and you could just see that he knew what he wanted and that's quite rare to be honest and he was focused and really what he needed was just good guidance and good mentoring and I think he got that through Leighton and, and the Davis Cup space and that really inspired him and this is a kid that understands the moment lives in the moment appreciates the simplest things as well as understands the challenges that you need to endure to achieve the great things so yeah he's, he's, a, he's one of a kind and um, but again he's, he's unique himself he's allowed his personality to really come out and obviously you've got exceptional talent in Nick and those other guys as well well, so, you know, two different athletes, but fundamentally um, incredibly talented. But I think Alex has done a great job in being able to harness his real mental desire with his ability as well. So for me, that's how I picture and, and then describe that situation. Yes. No, no, that's good. That's a very detailed description of, especially Demonar. You know, we see him on the court and he fights for everything and doesn't give up where, you know, like a Kyrgios, like Kyrgios has to, he's worked extremely hard also, especially in his junior days to get to where he is. And like, I guess for those listening right now, you were with him at the Davis Cup. Like, he would have been working quite hard, right? Oh, Nick works exceptionally hard. There's no doubt about it. And I think that's what people probably fail to realise is, and this is stuff that they don't see daily. And I was very fortunate to work with Nick in probably two parts of his, his development. One, when he was about 15, 16, and I saw that raw talent. 
um, and then later on um, as he was sort of establishing himself as amongst, amongst one of the best in the world and, and fundamentally did I see a, a difference um, certainly well as most comment just perhaps his ability to be able to contain himself emotionally that for me probably hadn't changed and that's a maturity thing and I, I you know granted that it's unacceptable and that's how it's perceived but then at the same time if you're within you're working with a guy of his talent and I mean exceptional talent you, you almost have to make allowances because I mean that's that's what personifies their performance is just them able to rely on playing who they are and playing for what they represent and that's Nick. So I think I think it's really a question of just how you nurture that talent very early on. Yeah, good point. Very good point. So like when you worked with him from 15 to 16 on the physical side of things, like what was he like physically? And when I played nationals, when I was, we were coming up in the same age group, he was a lot bigger than the other kids but he somehow he always had that you know perception and anticipation and he could still beat you because he just read the play so well and uh, you know he was obviously superb talent as well his ball striking ability was yeah, amazing I, I probably need to clarify i mean i i didn't work with him exclusively i i there was probably two or three other strength and conditioning coaches that did a fantastic job nick came through the ais program he certainly had talent to show and really that's probably where the challenges lie and how do you nurture such talent and i think that was a challenge for coaches to sort of grasp um they probably never really come across such talent as his and, and so you know it, it wasn't an easy process I'll be honest I think Tennis ten Australia certainly had their challenges but I think from a pure coaching point of view from both S&C you know there's, it's an education process and I think there's a level of patience and I think as a strength and conditioning coach from where I stood you certainly had to show a level of patience um, and, and a test of your creativity how to actually deliver the same message but in a way that's going to actually impact him and that he's actually going to understand that. Because when you've got guys of that calibre of personality and they're very much locked in, loaded in terms of how they think, it's, it's very hard to change, let's be honest. And you've got a whole heap of other variables that you've got to deal with, i.e. parents and managers and, and then the challenges of actually competing and expectations of being the number one junior. So, you know, you've got to factor all of that in and it's not an easy process. So certainly what I'm saying there is a team effort and I think it's just a level of communication across the board. I think that's probably the key with a lot of of pathway development or a lot of talent development is understanding who the stakeholders are and what each of those roles are working closely and, and having that patience like I said so so Nick was, wasn't easy I'll be honest and as was other guys and that's just the way those young kids develop um, and that's where I think good leaders and good coaches come in who have that ability to be able to connect with those players but at the same time teach them some life lessons I think what you'll find if you were to talk to a lot of those special players now, you know, they would certainly comment very positively on those that actually impacted them very early on. And I think the common tendency is that they coaches that did have an impact on them are the ones that actually managed to understand them a little bit better than others, I suspect. Yes, no, no, that's interesting. That's interesting you mentioned about, obviously, connecting with the players. Because at the end of the day, you'll find some coaches that, you know, maybe weren't as good as players, but they just can have that, they can build that relationship and the trust with the player and that person, you know, they shine through that coach or the, you know, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that's the thing. It comes down to authenticity too. It's one thing to connect, mm-hmm. but it's an actual another to actually connect emotionally with the player. Because I mean, really, what you got to demonstrate is that it's about the player. It's about them. From my point of view, I've always had the philosophy: you build the person first before you build the athlete. Because I mean, at the end of the day, it's they're human. Whilst we have our own approaches and mindsets and philosophies towards doing things, at the end of the day, it's great to have. But if you can't get that player to connect with you and respect you more than anything then you've got your work cut out very early on yes no no definitely i definitely agree with that and you mentioned as uh you mentioned before about managing expectations 
How have you, or what strategies do you have for your athletes on managing expectations? Like, let's say, especially if they work really hard in the off season, they're in great shape, they're hitting and moving well, and then they lose first round in a tournament. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, I'm certainly not a psychologist, but just through my experience, I think the expectation is as a coach, you have that responsibility to manage the level of expectations. I think sometimes coaches, we sort of emotionally get drawn into the successes of them and immediately want to have success for them. And I think you've got to treat that with caution. I think you've got to very much possess a very balanced approach as a coach you have that responsibility you almost got to remain impartial in some sense and, and add a level of realism to the situation and that just comes down to fundamentally who you are as a coach for me it was always about let's just get nuts and bolts right first let's really build capacity let's build your exposure and, and let's fundamentally train the best way we possibly can and ultimately the results will take care of itself so, so i think it's very important that you don't create too much expectation been plenty of examples over years where I've fallen into that trap a little bit, partly because maybe I've been blind by their talent, thinking he's a good training block and they should win. Yeah. And you got to you got to have a lot of things working your way. And there's other stuff there that we're probably not privy to that's happening on in their private life that could impact them. And so I think my message out of all of that really is about having a balanced outlook towards everything, and certainly having a perspective and managing that expectation because it is. Look, I can see and understand coaches that have worked with athletes for a very long time become very emotionally attached to them and I get that and so immediately there's expectation there but I think those that have that ability are the ones that can also understand the realism of the situation say you know what we're still a long way let's keep a lid on it and they're the coaches that I tend to find bigger picture mentality and I like that they're easier to well they're not easy but they're certainly a lot more constructive and more productive to work with because you literally you're both on the same page in that respect. And, and you're also yeah. helping the athlete because what you don't want to do is set the athlete up for failure. And I think that's a really important message also. And when you say setting up the player for failure, so can you give me an example of that? You know, by not developing the tools, by rushing things potentially. You know, at the end of the day, as a young, immature athlete, you don't really have a lot of life skills behind you. And so being able to manage one's emotions, it's very hard. And so what you want to do is you want to allow athletes to develop these social skills or these behavioral skills, i.e. managing crisis, managing loss, you know, managing negativity. How do you manage it? And it's very easy to be self-combustible if you don't have those skill sets. And that comes down to creating a framework that's fundamentally built on a philosophy that entails perspective, um, entails gratitude. And we've heard a lot of these terms thrown around lately, particularly in these times, is you know having empathy as well and just being kind and I think that just really helps ground an individual so you really got to have that sort of framework in place and teach these kids how to manage those because then when they do confront such challenges as losing or having heightened expectations and actually fall short they're not necessarily completely shattered or disorientated or disenfranchised with the sport they want to give away they almost want to now say right let's reset let's look at this as a positive and let's go out there and get better and take that on board and that's it it's easy to say, but when you've got young talent, that all they think about is being the best in the world and they want it quick. It's not an easy task. So it's a long process. And I think that's the other thing you've got to keep in mind is that you've got to have a long-term planning process. You've also got to have a level of mechanisms there that can allow those players to develop along the way. So it is a very long process, but also one that requires good outlook. Yeah, no, definitely. I agree with you a lot, especially in regards to developing the life skills and teaching them how to manage, you know, losses or crises or any of that stuff, especially if they've worked hard and they didn't get the result that they wanted, like you said. I mean, how do you cope with failure? I mean, how do you, like, how, how are you going to teach that? And how is the child or the, the student meant to learn that? So I guess, you know, in regards to setting up a bigger picture plan, like if you've got your goals along the way, you also need to have that 
realistic goal setting would be, you know, you are going to come to some losses in this period as well. So, you know, you do need to expect them where if you think you're going to win every match, that's, you know, that doesn't exist. And yeah, lot, absolutely. Yeah. I feel like a lot of kids these days, particularly a lot of kids that are good you know, at a young age, you know, they have one or mm. two or three, four bad losses and, you know, their resilience mm. is gone. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the key is, is it's okay to lose. It's fine. It's failure. You, you, you need to learn how to deal with failure or you need to fail. Everyone fails at, at some point in their life. And now those that have the ability to be able to jump back are the ones that, like you said, do have that sort of positive outlook, which essentially is resilience in some respects. But those that actually excel beyond resilience, they talk about anti-fragile mentalities. It's one thing to have resilience and that's sort of accepted. For example, he sprained his ankle, but he managed to see out the game, didn't necessarily win. That's resilience. But if you're talking about being anti-fragile, the guy twists his ankle, but he comes back in five and wins the match. There was this innate ability and the way there's this drive, this incredible appetite to compete. And he harnesses all the phase of past doings and puts it into this moment. So, you know, you're living in the moment. As coaches, you've got to bring that out of an athlete and say, this is it. This is what you play for. And put this level of significance on that moment in time because that's the one that's going to define them as a person. So you want to excite them with that sort of language, but you also got to teach them how to get there and how to manage that until that actually happens. So, exactly. um, yeah, so that, that for me is an elite mentality. You know, the, the greatest athletes in the world have that anti-fragile mentality. They just, nothing can break them and have confidence. But yes. again, time will be the judge of that. No, no, exactly right. No, and you said another interesting interesting thing just before about you know playing the long game and having a bit more patience from your experience you've been in the game longer than i have how do you plan for that and also know teaching a young junior that's let's say 12 or 14 who's the best in the country because i'm aware you're working with quite a good junior right like it's one of the best in the country in adelaide is that right the tennis yeah edward winter yeah so i think he's the number one for his age group in australia at the moment yeah yep. so under yeah. 16 i think he is excellent so how do you personally help him plan for the long game but also have that patience teaching him the patience that you know at 16 or 17 or 18 you probably will not be a top 100 player yet yeah absolutely and again that comes back to you know as a coach having that realism outlook and sometimes the truth hurts a little bit you're not great mate no one cares at junior level no one cares if you win a grand slam and as brutal as that is and this comes down to you as a coach in terms of knowing your athlete. And, and you say it in a manner that is also encouraging. And what I mean by encouraging is that, look, you're not going to, no one cares. But ultimately, you're in a position now where we can develop these skills. And so if you want to care, if you want to be known for your successes, then this is the path you've got to take. There's a time frame. So you've got to understand that you're not going to be successful. In winning right now does not mean anything at this level. And again, you know, you'll be judged by the successes of your challenges and your, your level of competition later on in your career. So right now, I'm going to prepare you for that physically and mentally. So that's the discussion I've had, not just with Eddie, but with past juniors over the years. And whilst it may sound intense, then it's really now how do I actually deliver that over the long term process and a lot of the time we don't have a lot of time with coaches particularly if you're not employed full-time so you got to learn to maximize the times that you have and you might have a quick debrief or a quick reflection and then get on with it and like i said you've got to expose kids to these sorts of discussions but you also got to allow them to sort of you know see it for themselves and understand i think that's a challenge as well as getting them to understand what what it all means yes exactly and i love what you said obviously you know having that tough conversation where you know no one really cares you're the best in the country 
a big fish in a small pond. Like there's thousands, tens of thousands of other players at the same level trying to achieve what you're trying to achieve. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a junior out there on the other side of the world that's probably working his absolute nuts off or she's working absolutely her butt off. Yes. Um, because the conversation in her mind or the discussion that they've had within their team is that, you know, we're preparing you long term. So who cares if you win a grand slam? No one really remembers the best junior in the world fortunately that's just the nature of the business you don't get recognized as an elite level athlete until you actually win at higher levels so and that's the sacrifice and that's the conversation you've got to have if say you're prepared to go to that level and i sometimes feel we don't have those hard enough conversations with juniors because we're probably too sensitive and they can't handle that conversation well you don't need to be absolutely blunt about it but you also got to say it in a manner that clearly resonates with them and they get it so i'm not afraid to tell athletes that no, definitely. I, I agree with you a lot, man, because it's kind of like a bit of a lost art in coaching where it's, there's too much sugar coating, where it's almost, uh, you know, there's no realistic conversation saying, you know, you're good, but you're not that good. And to reach this, this is what you're going to need to do. If you're prepared for it, then let's go in. But if you're not, then you don't really have a shot. Yeah, that's right. I mean, yeah, obviously how you communicate it, as you said, you can't be completely brutal and blunt, but you also need to know your players. Some players prefer just brutal and blunt and completely honest, and some need a bit of, you know, more positive words or how you communicate it. It's much more important. Yep, absolutely. What's your take on specializing early in sport? Like when is the right age? I mean, there's so much research that shows such large numbers of burnout if you specialize, you know, let's say young from eight to 12, even if they're the best in the country at that age. You sort of build your philosophies based on what current research is at the time, particularly if you're starting off early in your career because we don't probably know any better. It's only really until you've been in the industry for a while and you've had the experiences that you're sort of starting to realise that, well, maybe specificity isn't the way. Maybe complete exposure and variability is, is probably the way. And what I mean by exposure and variability is to other skill sets that other sports offer and, and variability in, in the sense that, you know, that these sports are delivered in different ways, in different magnitudes, whether it's you know, playing A grade or playing um, C grade or just playing socially. So I think really for me, it comes down to specialty, particularly the nature of sports these days, because really at the end of the day, you're trying to develop, if I'm talking from a physical development point of view, you're setting them up for life physically. And I think the mindset for me now is, yes, I want to get them prepared for elite performance or high performance, but ultimately I'm getting them ready for afterlife as well. Now, what I mean by that is I don't want them to be suffering injuries throughout the whole career where they can't walk. Once post, they're going to have a hip replacement or a knee surgery, and you'll get a lot of that, particularly if your plans aren't managed and your, your loads aren't managed, and that's another discussion itself. But ultimately, that's how I look at it. And so the story I tend to sell is that let's get let's work on your fundamentals and, and let's expose you to as much variability in other sports and build your skill sets, particularly the perceptual motor skill capacities, you know, your hand dexterity, your reaction speed, your response times your tracking all that sort of stuff coordination timing you know develop that and, and you can get that from other sports not only you get that the value of diversity as well and engaging them through fun i guess is another and that will keep them in the sport because you've got to understand in the bigger scheme of things right now where kids are at there's, there's so many other sports out there and really it comes down to convenience and accessibility and easiness like if a kid finds tennis too hard it's very easy for him to say to mum that you know i'm done oh, i'm gonna go and play soccer because my mates are there. and I, look, I had that with my son now so for me i'd rather my son go out and play soccer or play basketball and get exposure because he's actively he's still doing something he's building those fundamental movement skills and then in an isolation environment like the gym you know it is a lot of people will vouch and, and will talk about getting fundamental move well got to learn to move well 
fundamentally. Um, now, you put all of that together and then over the years, you w- work up through the hierarchy of development. Ultimately, you get to the mastery level, which is elite professionalism, then you know, you're setting them up. They've got the skill set. They've got the work all set into them. And then it's entirely up to them to make the most of it. And then ultimately, after that career's over, they're still involved in the sport. So that's the responsibility I take. For the parents listening, when it comes down to, you know, the financial circumstances of it, you know, going into a sport and let's say you want your child to become a professional and they want to go down that pathway, how much does it cost? <laughs> it depends who you talk to, I guess, and it depends who you approach. There's so many things you've got to keep in mind. For me, fundamentally, it really depends on the seriousness and, and the level and the potential more than anything. And if those things align, and more importantly, the child or the player is interested and he's engaged and he wants to do it or she wants to do it for the right reasons, then then invest. Invest. Um, spend the money. Go and get your best strength and conditioning coach. Go and get the best tennis coach. Go and sign up with the best training facility. You know, but understand that you know there's got to be a trade-off financially and time and other sacrifices amongst it. Um, and that's the higher end of nurturing talent and developing it. Otherwise, simply if you are doing it purely just to keep your child entertained, you just want them engaged, and you don't necessarily have to go and get an S and C coach. You can just simply spend time with the player or the, your child and you know do it yourself so again it really depends a who you talk to what what does the child want or you know what's what's in the best interest of the child so you can go and spend as much as you want or you can just go and spend as little as you want but i think that's a decision you can only really make until they're probably a little bit later on when they really start to you know specialize i guess in that talent and, you know i've seen it before kids show potential very early on and the parents go and spend an absolute fortune but then they get to 17 you, you'd never hear of them again so that's a decision that the parents have to make and that's entirely their prerogative. I don't think we're judges of that. If I get coaches coming out of parents that come up to me and, you know, I have a set price with the experience that I've had, they know what they're going to get and I'm only prepared to do that. So I'll tell them, so look, how serious are you? I'm not here to, to babysit or, you know, I'm here to actually help your child get better for the time being, you know. So if you're willing to invest, then I'm happy to deliver. Yeah, so, so the team aspect of it, again, it really depends. Look, every every good environment has a good team. So I think start off with a strength and conditioning coach and your tennis coach and then sort of work your way up from that as they sort of go up the level and start exposing to more high-level tournaments and touring a little bit more. You might want to bring in a physio, which some do anyway, some that double up as a physio and strength and conditioning coach and those that like I said, depending on level of investment where they're at, you, you may want to employ a psychologist or a nutritionist along the way as well. So it really depends. But I think right now, definitely get strength. I'm, I'm sound biased, but definitely strength and conditioning. Yes. Um, well, or, or someone with a good level of qualifications and experience is one other thing I would highly, highly advise. Make sure they, they know what they're talking about. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think it comes down to, you know, the, the quality of questions coming from the child or the, the parents as well. You know, in the business world, you know, it is essentially about selling and being able to sell well. But, you know, if you know what questions to ask, you essentially know you you are probably going to get a good deal if you know what you're asking. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Always, always, you know, try and teach the parents to, you know, come up with great questions. And that way you can tell if the coach is being authentic or if they're not. So that way, you before you put in large sums of money, you, you should probably know what you're wanting out of it first. And, uh, yeah, you can make a decision based on that. Yeah, um, and I think it's important for parents to just approach various types of people and get to get good recommendations I, I tend to think the best coaches are the ones that are um, referred to by word of mouth i think correct no no that's very true if you were to train me for 12 week 12 weeks let's say for a comeback in tennis what would the training look like <laughs> uh, what were the tragedies man yeah you're really challenging me mate um <laughs> i'm just going to make a lot of assumptions here <laughs> Look, classically, you want to build a foundation, so certainly build up your general 
conditioning base or your general strength and conditioning base, so volume, and then certainly move more into uh, capacity building. So whether that's now specialising in strength and power development or maximal power or anatomical strength. So that'd be probably the next phase. And then if you're, you know, as we sort of up the ante a little bit, as you withstand the loads and, and you're getting that exposure, then I'll probably start transitioning you more into what I call movement conditioning. So patterns are uh, sort of somewhat related to on court. So change of direction, certainly, but still building your conditioning base, a bit more specific with your power type work. So bit more functional as they say and then certainly as you get closer to making your return then expose you to a bit more match play stimulus um, in and around um, you know duration so for example 30 seconds on 30 seconds off five or six of those if you can withstand that then go again and probably push a little bit certainly push your Mario I think you've got that capacity so <laughs> in a nutshell sort of that sort of progressive block stage I guess and just making sure that you tick off all the boxes so strength yeah. and power for me initially and then obviously if you've got any injury history I'd make sure we address that as well so you've got your injury rehabilitation or injury preventative based programs in there as well for you no, definitely. Well, it sounds like if I want to make a comeback, I know who the who the man to go to is. And I definitely uh, <laughs> definitely want to get you down and maybe do a workshop or something like that with a couple of my students and uh, obviously spend a day or two with them. And uh, I think that would be fantastic exposure to them. Yeah, for sure. The level you've worked at. Dan, just before you go, do you mind if you take us through your non-for-profit organization, which is the Project 6 Foundation and the driving force behind that? Yeah, Project 6 Foundation, uh, something I'm very passionate about. Whilst it predominantly is based on delivering tennis experiences, and what I mean by that is coach development and sports participation and and physical education-based programs. Project 6 Foundation is named after the district that I was uh, adopted from in the Philippines. I I was adopted when I was uh, almost five years old to an Australian couple, grew up in Australia, and really through it all I've, I've never really I'd like to think forgotten where I came from and at some point in my life I always said to myself that I, I will one day give back to the community adding to that is the fact that my adopted mother also had a charity of her own until she passed away when I was very early and so the other driving fact behind that is to continue her legacy and then through my experiences working with tennis and visiting all the countries and just seeing the impact of how tennis can change children and just the accessibility of it and just the the beauty of it all and then such a global sport but just more importantly, the fun of that sports and activity offer that really, for me, identified and presented a great opportunity to be able to deliver a program that I'm passionate about or a, a organisation. So we, in 2018, we officially set up Project 6 Foundation at this stage, just delivering programs and coach education clinics and uh, lessons in the Philippines. And the, the key to that is bringing people along who are passionate as well. So right now we, we get uh, ex-tennis players involved, got Andrew Whittington involved, I've had Blake Mott involved in the past, Luke Savile has been involved as well, as well as um, Jack Shapansky as well. So all these young juniors I used to coach who are now young men and you know, I give them the opportunity and we've got a tour if and when the COVID restrictions allow us we'll deliver a tour at the end of the year where we'll take over a team of Australian coaches and we are I guess promoting the opportunity for a female tennis coach so if if anyone's listening out there that is a female junior tennis coach who would love the opportunity to give back to uh, developing country or developing communities in those remote communities in the Philippines we'd love to hear from you and we've got an association with Cambodia as well and basically we go into the missions we're linked with a mission in Cambodia that runs a sports program so we deliver this tennis program or help supplement the tennis program program and then the narrative behind all of that is we want to help 
improve mental and health well-being using sports and, and using physical activity with the hope one day that these young unfortunate kids right now will become fortunately blessed kids in 20 years time and can then return back to their communities and give back and that's really the narrative that I want. So the long-term goal is, is to do just that and hence why we're in it for the long term. So really, in a nutshell, that's Project 6, obviously very passionate about it. And thank you for allowing uh, me to talk about it as well, because I really want to embrace the tennis community here in Australia, because I know every coach and clubs here in Australia are, are really quite invested in it. And so, you know, I want them to be a part of that journey as well. No, no, definitely. I think there's a, obviously a very, uh, you're very passionate about it. So your why behind it is, you know, it's very good. You'll, you'll do very well with it because it's pretty emotional and what you're trying to do there. Like, you know, it's the, the history with it anyway, it's driving you to, to make it great. So good on you. I think it's amazing. And, you know, yeah. if we, if we can help out anyway, just, yeah, let me, let me know and definitely willing to, for anyone wanting to reach out, how can we help you and the Project Six Foundation potentially? Yeah, look, if anyone wants to reach out or have any questions about wanting to get involved in the future or make a donation, whether it's financial or through equipment or just in general want to contribute to our coach advisory board or, or provide coaching advice for our upcoming tour, which is the Coach for Smiles tour. We'd love to hear from you. You can make an email me directly at dbubris at p6f, as in the number 6f.org. So dbubris, D-B-U-B-E-R-I-S at p6f.org. Perfect. I'll um I'll get you to send that through to me, so that way I can put it in the uh, iTunes notes and the Spotify, and also when I do post. Yeah, brilliant. I think it would be fantastic to get the community and even uh, people down my way helping you out with that. And yeah, definitely happy to help out as well personally. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you for your support. No worries. Well, Dan, thank you so much for your time. I really, really appreciate it. You, you know, you're a wealth of knowledge. So, you know, anyone that's listening will come out a lot smarter. And like myself, I'm coming out of this conversation <laughs> very happy and wiser. So, thank you. Pleasure. Whatever I can offer helps. Um, no, and I appreciate the opportunity today. And uh, great having you chat. Thank you. No worries, Dan. We'll chat soon. All right. Thanks, Mario. Take care, thanks. mate. Cheers. See you, Dan. Bye. Bye. And there you have it, folks. I hope that you all got some serious value out of that episode. Thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share the love by subscribing, sharing it with a friend and leaving a review. If you're wanting to reach out or stay up to date with us, check out our Facebook and Instagram page at Spark Tennis Oz. See you next week.